He's wrestled everywhere, from bars in Minnesota to the Olympic Games in London, from a tag team staple in NXT to trying to find his way and his name in WWE. Chad Gable is on After the Bell now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and much like you, I am still trying to catch my breath after the madness that was Hell in a Cell. Each and every year, one of my favorite events WWE produces this year, not any different, but we're not here to talk about Hell in a Cell anymore. It's Thursday. That was ancient history. We are talking about the future, who, in my opinion, this man will be a big part of WWE's future. He is my guest, Chad Gable. Shorty G, thanks for waking up bright and early with me this morning. I'd like to start the interview by saying that from here on out, I will no longer refer to you as Shorty G. (laughs) I have that kind of cachet. I've known you long enough, so you will be Chad Gable from here on out. You're my hero for that, Graves. What a a way to start this. I love it. Thank you. There we go. Start things off on a high note. This whole recording first thing in the morning thing has become unfamiliar to me. I used to do it all the time and then pandemic hit and I'm like, usually roll out out of bed around like 11 noon. I'm like sucking down coffee as we do this today. So I appreciate it. So I'm the opposite ever since the pandemic started. I have three kids now, so I have to force myself to get up before all the kids, because if I don't, then it's like you're up and running and your day just gets yep. away from you. They, they control everything. So I have to like be Absolutely. Up, and up and ready. I, I live for that little 45 minutes to an hour where I can sit yes. and watch the news and drink my coffee. Zen. And then yes. they, uh, then they wake up and start making demands. <laughs> yep. That's what kids do now. They just make demands. Mm-hmm. They don't ask for things. They just, they just expect it. I'm learning that. I'm learning that. Yeah. 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 How, how old are your three now? Uh, four, two, and just under a year. So oh. they're all under five. Yeah. Busy guy up there in Minnesota holding it down. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, good. I and mean, hopefully I'll give you a little bit of levity from parenthood today. And we can talk about this, this business that has consumed both of our lives in very different ways. And as long as I've known you and as many times as we've just had brief chats and hung out, I don't think we've ever really spent a whole lot of time together. So right. I have plenty of things to learn, which is sure. exciting to me. So let's just start at the beginning. I'm actually going to, obviously we talk about it on WWE each and every time you come to the ring that you were a United States Olympian. Sure. To my knowledge, we haven't really delved into that as a company. Um, We just go, oh, this guy was in the Olympics. He must be awesome. (laughs) There you go. Um, And that's that. So so talk to me about that, that journey. Obviously this was a, that was a lifelong journey. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll try to keep it brief, but basically I I started amateur wrestling when I was five or six years old, you know, I think six. Um, My dad kind of took me to a practice and I just, I I fell in love with it, you know, and there's there's different styles of amateur wrestling for those that don't know. And my specialty was Greco-Roman, which we found worked best for me about fifth or sixth grade. I fell in love with it. Uh, And that's all upper body for those that don't know. You can't touch the legs. It's all throws and things like that. And I always kind of just, I feel like I've always kind of lucked out in finding these paths in my life that have led me the right places, you know? And I I did like, I won a state championship. I did the normal high school route, but right when I graduated high school, um, there was a training center in Northern Michigan, an Olympic training center that presented itself for the first time as an opportunity to get a college degree on scholarship and train for the Olympics at the same time in this place in Marquette, Michigan. 
And it was this brand new concept and it hadn't really been done before. And so I was like, it's almost too good to be true. They're going right. to pay me basically pay for my school to let me train for the Olympics. And, but it was true. And so I did it and I went up there. I uh, went to college in Northern Michigan, trained for the Olympics. Uh, I did two cycles. So I trained for the Beijing Olympics in 2008, uh, did not make the team there. Uh, stuck with it another four years, moved, traveled all over the world, moved all over the country, lived in Colorado at the training center there. And then I ended up making the team in, in 2012 um, and wrestled in the London Olympics. So it was basically like this 20 year journey, you know, wrapped up and finally kind of capped off in London, which was which was pretty special. And that kind of blows through a lot of stuff, you know, but um, this whole time it was just like awesome experiences, just traveling the world and doing what I loved. It was pretty great. It's pretty much the polar opposite of my amateur wrestling career, which also okay. began in elementary school. <laughs> and I remember that my dad would take me to the meets and these were just in high school gymnasiums. But at that point I was so introverted and afraid of people watching me that I would oh, often sure. freak out and cry before the tournament even started. And, oh, wow. Uh, and my dad was like, okay, this isn't for you. Ironically enough, my chosen career path would lead me to. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. do remember one time, actually, that had happened to me, too. I was very young, but I had this kind of anxiety for whatever reason and started crying. And I was like, I can't do this. And my dad, of course, just took me and we left. Yeah. Like, luckily, <laughs> my dad, my parents were awesome about everything. Like, they never forced me to do anything. They were just always very supportive. And I was like, but yeah, that one time I just lost it and was like, I got to get out of here. We can't do this today. Just yeah, cross my name off the bracket. Let's go. Your anxiety took you to the Olympics. My anxiety sure. led me to like a very <laughs> mediocre to subpar amateur wrestling career <laughs> yeah. up until high school. So now let me ask you this. We have a lot of guys that you talk to, anyone that we work with. Everyone's got a journey. Everyone had a story as to how they arrived in WWE. Anybody that came from the Indies, basically our goal was to support our wrestling habit. We all had sure. odd jobs. We all had sacrifices we had to make. What sort of sacrifices did you have to make in your personal life to prepare to represent our nation as, as an Olympian? So I moved away. Obviously, I'm a, a very family-centric guy. And not just my family that I have now, but my parents, my brother, sister, everybody. I'm, it's very important to me. Um, so moving away for me out of high school was kind of a big deal at first. Um, well, I kind of settled into that. But I lived there for five, six years in Marquette in Michigan and then got married to my wife um, after I graduated college. And the first thing I did when I, after we got married was move across the country to Colorado Springs to start training and she stayed home. And oh, so wow. it was like these sacrifices where, and again, I was always so fortunate that I have these people that uh, supported everything I did. You know what I mean? Like she didn't even blink at the thought of me moving to Colorado and not living with her for like the first two years of our marriage, you know, she just like, yep, go do it. And it was the same thing with WWE when I'm like, we got to pack up, we got to move to Florida. She's like, all right, let's do it. And I, a lot of people have stories, you know, of like these people that are telling them they can't do stuff that don't support them. It's like, I've never, I did this all by myself. I'm very open to say, like, I've been very fortunate my whole life to have like the support of everybody. So like the sacrifices have been things like, you tell people that when you move away from your wife immediately the this day after you marry her, you know what I mean? I mean like, that's I gotta pretty go. high. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> but, legit I mean, as far as sacrifices go. It was, it is what it is. That's like what the price we had to pay at that point to do it. And, you know, amateur wrestling was just something that, that Olympic dream of, was a thing that I dreamed of for so long. 
it was like, we're going to do what we have to do here. Like it, we both knew that we both were willing to sacrifice that 2012 was the, the end date. So at least in that sense, we had that date to look forward to. Like we knew that was, that was it. So that helped. Now you are a lifelong wrestling fan while all of this is happening or. Is it- oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Uh, I was a fan since I was a very young kid. Obviously I did the whole, you were renting VHS pay-per-views from the old movie stores and all that yeah. stuff. But I think maybe a lot of people don't know quite like how obsessed I was with, like I went to uh, an independent wrestling school in high school and got trained. So this is when, while you were doing Olympic wrestling while I was doing high school, wrestling. high school wrestling. So okay. for those that watched the original tough enough, that was on MTV this indie promotion up the street from where I live did their own kind of version of that. And so I had no money at the time because I didn't work or anything. I was 16. I had this like jar full of quarters and I went and just paid like $45, I think, or something was the entrance fee. Anyway, got selected to do this competition. And I think it was like eight weeks or whatever, of like basic training. And I won the competition. And so then they basically gave me the rest of my training, training that we'll call it for free. And I started having matches like when I was 17 at this Uh. local place up the street. And all that to be said, like I, my fandom of this whole of pro wrestling grew enormously from the time I was like 14 to 17. I was like one of these, you like for those out there that ever traded tapes or sent VHSs to anyone else, you may have gotten one from me because I had like (laughs) this whole like set up in my basement, like wall to wall tapes. I made my own labels and like I collected stuff from Japan and independence. And like, I was just obsessed with it, man. It was my life at that point. I mean, I was an amateur wrestler, obviously it was a big part of it, but my free time, my obsession was pro wrestling. So the the goal was always sort of the same, even beyond the Olympics. I mean, uh, to be completely honest, the goal first was to be a pro wrestler and you accidentally screwed around and ended up in the I Olympics. messed up and went to the olympics yeah i don't know what the, i mean the, the thing with the olympics is like it's one of those things that seems so impossible at the time yeah. even when i was doing it and like successful in amateur wrestling the olympics is just like no way man like that's way too hard for some reason getting to wwe or the wcw at the time seemed more possible to me than getting to the Olympics. And then his life is just, you know, it takes us different ways and it it worked out for the best in both ways, but it's pretty wild. So did you have encounter anybody that we would know nowadays in WWE on your brief uh, high school independent journey? So not in high school, but uh, when I retired from the Olympics in 2012, I moved back to Minnesota and I'm going to stop about, you. I want to stop you real sure. quick, though, because sure. you just said when you retired from the Olympics, what does that feel like? I mean, you've you've essentially worked your entire life for one goal. It yeah. happens, and now what? Yeah. So, it's, oh man, I don't talk about this with too many people, but something that happens, and I think it's becoming more. People are being more made more aware of it now. Is this like idea of once your athletic career ends, especially amateur athletics, where that's all you've done since you were five years old or six. For me, that's all I ever did was wrestle. I didn't play football. I didn't play baseball, made it to the peak of that sport, which is the Olympics. And then boom, it's done. I couldn't identify with anybody that had anxiety that had any sort of like bad, like nothing like that until that moment. 
And the second I retired, all these emotions and things hit me that I've never felt before. And it was so new to me. And I didn't know, even know what was happening. Like I had conversations with my family and my wife, like something ain't right here. And they all kind of, I think, sensed what was going on that like, I had just lost this whole you lost your identity, identity yeah. this whole part of me. And it, and it took me a long time to like, come to grips with that, you know, and realize like, okay, that's done, set it aside. And it was hard. Like that's, that's a very difficult thing. And it, there's like an, uh, an awesome documentary on HBO right now that follows Phelps. And there's a bunch of people that kind of spearheaded this thing that talk about that happening to like everybody that goes through that. And so it was, it was not fun. Um, but I also was fortunate enough to be surrounded by those people, you know, at the time to help me get through it and realize like, let's figure out what's next. And the thing about it was like, I sat down with my wife in, so I retired in, let's say August was the Olympics when I wrestled uh, about October I found a local wrestling school again, started training a little bit. And I asked my wife to give me one year. I said, just give me 12 months to train, see how I like this stuff. Give me one year to make it to WWE. And if I don't, we won't do it no more. We won't even talk about it. And in November, it was 13 months. So it took 13 months, actually. One month over my limit. But November of the following year, we were in Florida, and I started with NXT. That's incredible. That's absolutely wild. And the fact yeah. that you called your shot like that to give me a year make it to WWE. I do good with deadlines. I do good with deadlines. Part of me wants to say, I hate you. And part of me is going, wow, my God, that's incredible. Uh, so I, I actually remember when you arrived in the, in the Performance Center, or your class, so to speak, and I, I believe I was still active in the ring or I was maybe yes. just, yep. just gotten out. We like, actually, we tangled once or twice. I remember we wrestled a little bit. Yeah. I, I remember it being in the ring for yep. sure, like practice. Um, and I remember rolling around with you and, and you just doing all this stuff. And I'm going, there's no way this guy just learned this. There, this is, <laughs> and then I, somebody, I had to ask like a friend of a yeah. friend or, or a coach might've disclosed, <laughs> uh, you know, he did do like some indie stuff before he got bit, here. Yeah. But even so a year on the indies prior to WWE right. is unheard of. It's, it's insane. It's awesome. What was the, the culture shock like for you arriving in this parallel universe, the WWE? Yeah. So obviously you get there and the personalities in this place are, are in at the performance center were unbelievable. Like something I've never experienced. I've been in all these different Olympic training centers all over the world. And obviously amateur wrestlers, especially like we go to places in Europe and like all, all over and everyone's just stone faced, like, uh, like dead serious all the time. Uh, we got work to do, but, and everyone here is like, opposite ends of the spectrum in every crazy way, you know? And so it's like blowing my mind from the first second and then kind of like just settle in, like I'll, I'll feel it out here and get used to it. And the physical part of everything was no problem because I've been used to training and things like that. Like the physicality and the training sessions were fine, but then you get to a promo class right. and this was like a culture shock. This to me was I was thrust in there, I think probably my second day at the performance center. And when you're in front of all these personalities that I just talked about, and there's like 60 of them, and this is their first look at you, you know, and they're like, let's see what you got. I mean, that talk about anxiety. That was yeah. like the worst, man. They just, you get put up in front of everybody and 
I think it was just like introduction. You just introduce yourself the first day or whatever, but it was like the worst feeling in the, in the entire uh-huh. world, you know, but it's like anything else. You kind of you ease into it. You, you find your groove and, and you get comfortable. And before you know it, you're just acting like an idiot up there half the time or doing whatever. And, but it was definitely that part of it was 100% the most difficult. It's like allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you know, it was something I wasn't used to. It's definitely, definitely unfamiliar territory for most mm-hmm. human beings. It's not normal to yeah. do anything that we do. Yeah. <laughs> any, yeah. any aspect of this just very abnormal life. lifestyle, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have uh, anybody help you out or, or give you advice either prior to arriving at the PC or once you got there that you sort of gravitated to? So initially, I I started hanging out with a lot of the former amateur wrestlers just because they knew kind of me and I knew of them at least we knew of each other. And so that was an easy way to kind of pick their brains and they navigate everything. But after a while, it was easy to just kind of, you realize everyone there is willing to help if you're willing to ask, you know, that was the cool thing about the performance center is like, it was at the same time competitive as it was everybody wanting each other to succeed because it was almost like a scene at the time. You know what I mean? It was like this cool thing that was, it was still a little underground. It wasn't blown up yet. You know what I mean? And I always been lucky in that sense. I feel as well, where I've always, I call it a scene, but like, even when I did that thing that I talked about earlier in Marquette, where I went to college, it was, it was just starting out. It was just a scene and it was this little thing. But before you know it, like four years later, we had guys from there going to the Olympics and going to the world championships. And I was like part of that. And then here again at NXT, it's like this scene. It was like, you knew something was going to happen. There was a buzz even in the building among us. And, and then it was getting out, you know, to the people as well. And so everybody had that sense of like wanting each other to succeed and get better. So anyone you would ask for help was more than willing. So you just had to get over that initial, like feeling like, Oh, I'm bothering these like veterans or these older guys by asking them for promo advice or match advice and things like that. It's like, no, by the time you ask them, you pick their brain, you got more than you asked for. You know, everybody was willing to help. It was, it was a great scene. Was there a moment uh, inside the performance center or, or on a live event or wherever that may be, where you finally felt like it clicked, like something just became comfortable? I think as far as the promos and character stuff go, we did a promo once, uh, Jason Jordan and I, when they first kind of started pairing us together and playing with playing with the dynamic. And we did one promo where I kind of played almost like his little brother. And I was kind of bothering him and picking on him and being a little goof, but he kind of like gave into it and, and it felt so right. And people were, you could just feel people were with it and they were laughing. And I gave the, the final like ready, willing and Gable line at the end of this one out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you, everybody just lit up and they were like, and the way I did it and the way Jason responded was just perfect. And I looked and we got done and I'm like, this is it, this is going to work. Like this partnership is right. It felt right to me. You know what I mean? I won't argue. You'll get absolutely yeah. no argument from me about American Alpha. And you knew I was going to get to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was luckily lucky enough to still be part of NXT calling that run of your, your guy's career. Talk to me about how that came to be and, and just what Jason Jordan has meant to you. 
Yeah. Jay, he's a man. He's my brother. He was struggling to find his way as a lot of people do. Uh, everybody knows the guy is the most insane athlete. Um, he looks like a million bucks. He, he's the kind of guy that makes you just want to give up. When yes, it comes to working out. <laughs> in the because gym, whatever you want, it's, it's just like oh. effortless. He's strong <laughs> as an ox. He's yep. like fast. He's a badass. Yep. I'm like, if I, if I would create a human being in a laboratory, <laughs> it would probably yeah. look like Jordan. Yep. He could be a very frustrating man in that sense. It's like he makes everything look so easy. Uh, but he was struggling and a lot of people go through that. And he went through, I think the same thing I did initially where I feel like he had some trouble allowing himself to be vulnerable and, and opening up in, in a sense that in the kind of way that we need to, you know, in, in with what we do. So here, here's what I think happened was they, they paired us together to see if it would work, what the dynamic would be like. And we are both very competitive in the same sense of we came from amateur wrestling, similar backgrounds. And I think he was almost initially, if you ask me, almost a little bit bothered by the fact that they think, oh, this new guy, they're going to put this new guy with me. And all of a sudden they think it's going to work. And it forced him to raise his level, raise his yeah. game up a little bit and open up. And then it forced me to say, well, I'm not just going to like stand here and let him all of a sudden get way better than he was just because I'm paired with him. So I raised my level and we were competitive with each other to the point of, man, this is working. Like our friendship was built out of that competitiveness. And before you know it, we were I, like, we were best friends, like after six months, because we recognized that we recognized that our mindsets are the same. We came from the same background. We have the same drive. And so the competitiveness kind of went away when we realized like, like we can do this, like it's going to work. We can force it to work. We can make it work before you know it. We were just clicking, man. Like everything we did, we were on the same page. We'd finish each other's thoughts. Like it was, it was definitely meant to be like 100%. That's really cool, man. That's, that's a true uh, definition of iron sharpens iron between the two 100%. of you guys. Jason, I keep wanting to call him by his other name, but yeah. <laughs> Jason, Jason <laughs> has, has been, I, I consider him one of my first friends in WWE. We actually took our pre-employment medical tests here in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. Together. Okay. And that was where yeah. I met him. And I remember him telling me he wanted to be a dentist. And then yeah. he ended up being a WWE. I was like, wow, it's going to be a bit different than yeah. the dental office. But I, he, it's, I don't think he would mind me saying he was sort of lost and struggling, like you said. And then the two yeah. of you came together. And I was stoked on, on a personal note to see my friend finally figuring it out. And it was yeah. alongside you. And man, you guys, you guys were magic. Uh, run me through some of your favorite memories of, of NXT. The first one that stands out because we were talking, I was talking to my producers before we started this interview uh, was takeover Dallas. Yeah. Which, which man, that that's still that night as a whole was incredible to me. It was so great because it was this culmination of like reality meeting, meeting what we do, which I think is the best versions of what we do. You know, the best stories we tell have reality in there. Yes. And that night was so special for me, but even more importantly for Jason, I think, um, cause he had gone through so much and he finally reached this point where he, and we told these stories on NXT, which was so awesome. There's this video package they put together of his amateur wrestling career and mine and where he he went through all these peaks and valleys and he almost he kept getting to the point where he would get right there and then not quite make it and then get right there and then just fall short. And so that Dallas was this chance to not only tell that story of getting there and then capturing the moment and succeeding finally, but 
it was real because yeah. this was his career coming to a peak and them showing that they believe in us and saying, no, you're here. You made it. You succeeded. And you could see it on his face that night. Like the guy had tears yeah. in his eyes and yeah, I was like, it. so happy for him. Like it made me so emotional to be a part of it and to just watch my friend because I saw him when he was like at his lower points and when he was struggling and you can see guys and, and how they're acting and how they carry themselves and the, the slow and steady rise that I saw in him over the course of six, eight months when we started teaming together was he was just reinvigorated. He was so full of zest and life that he what didn't have like eight months ago, you know, and it, and it just got capped off that night in this like emotional release. It was like, well, the best part of what we do, 100%. No doubt about it. And, and I could feel it calling the yeah. match. I, it, it, for that, the reasons we just discussed, uh, there, there once, once in a blue moon, something comes along that, that just yep. strikes that nerve and you just go, wow, this is, this is real. This is yeah. real in every sense of the word. Yep. Um, so that, that was really cool. Uh, anything else stand out to you from your time in NXT? Yeah, I think that first uh, NXT UK tour that we did was kind of a special uh little time period in my life that I, I know I will never forget. It was like 10 days when we went over to the UK, my first child was on the way, uh, could have been born any day. So the due date was like right in the middle of the tour or like right towards the end, but it was the first NXT tour and we were like on the whole thing. And so we went not knowing if my daughter was going to be born when I was overseas or, and there was this whole, but the shows over there, kind of helped me like take away some of that anxiety because those crowds were so ready for NXT. They were so ready to watch us. It was unbelievable. And there was a night in Blackpool that I will never forget where they had done, they came up with this Jordan and Gable chant, which was, uh, it was unbelievable. They did it every night, but that night in Blackpool, they must've done it for someone has the time. I don't remember how long it lasted, but we couldn't even start the match. We were wrestling Blake and Murphy. dude. It was unbelievable. It was like the most fun I've ever had in, in a wrestling ring. The arena we were in was unbelievable that night, the whole atmosphere. And just that trip in general, you had that sense of feeling of accomplishment from the entire roster. Like we really are doing something like really special here. It was, like I said, another one of those scenes where there's just a buzz and everybody felt it and everybody's putting on their best matches, their best face on every single night, just tearing the house down. And it was like eight days of just like the greatest, it was, it was the greatest road trip ever. You know, it was awesome. Right on. Yeah, I remember seeing the video that they released. Uh, I think uh, WWE.com or whatever. Yeah, it was the full it was video. It, it, it was forever dude. and a day, man. It was it was yeah. really really cool. So fast forward a little bit, and finally, after what seems like a, an endless journey, American Alpha finds its way to the main roster. Yeah, what was going through your mind knowing that you would finally accomplish the goal, not only to be under contract with WWE, but now from the Olympics to WWE some of these things and I, I always have to take a step back cause it's so unbelievable sometimes. And I talk to people now about just like goal setting and things like that. Things always seem so impossible at first, like I said, with the Olympics and then just getting to WWE and then getting to SmackDown, everything initially seems so impossible until all of a sudden it's here. And it's like kind of time passes and you get in the groove and you're, 
you're doing what you know needs to be done. And then before you know it, you snap a finger and it's like everything disappeared. We're here. And this time in NXT, at when you're going through it, it felt like it took forever. And there's days that felt like weeks and, you know, it drags and drags. And then all of a sudden 2016 is here and we got called up and I was like, NXT seemed like it disappeared like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Time is so weird like that. And when Jason and I got called up, we were ready. We were so excited to go and tell the, our story on the main roster and let people experience American Alpha. And I really wish that we had had a better chance, you know, initially to tell our story and tell a little bit more about our relationship and just the way that we interact with each other rather than just, and these are things we had to navigate and kind of realize that you don't always get these chances to do things your way you know, on the main roster. And I think initially out of the gate, we probably could have settled in better and like navigated the the whole landscape a little bit better from the get-go um, and, and had, you know, just a, a better start out of the gate. Boy, well, you did get out of the gate. And as you were still trying to find your footing, seemingly, here comes Corey Graves doing his Maury Povich uh, impression and Kurt Angle and Jason. Oh, yes. And... To God's honest truth to this day, I don't know what the plan was, where that was going. <laughs> so we'll just, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah. So now we'll focus on Chad Gable, singles competitor. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I was very excited for that. The, the whole Kurt Angle thing happened, and I was sitting in a hotel room that night watching just like everybody else. And trust me, I was like, okay, uh, just like everybody else, news to me. Um, but it's like, well, he, <laughs> This whole story is unraveling and I'm going, so why do I know? Yeah. Why, why does the loudmouth color commentator have paternity results of an Olympic, uh, Olympic yeah. gold medalist? And you Jason couldn't Ford. shoot me a text or something, yeah, Grace? Like, no, I mean, no. a little text would have been nice. Listen, I was, I was able to leave the commentary desk in the middle of the show on numerous occasions and take like, <laughs> yeah. a segment off. I was like, I don't yeah. ever want to reveal this. I just get, I'm going to leave seg six, six yeah. through eight. I'm just going to go backstage and, and hang out in catering for a second. So I'm sorry oh. to cut you off. No, dude, it was, uh, it was very wild. Um, but then it's kind of like, okay, I always wanted to do single stuff as well. And I mean, to be completely honest, the, the tag team stuff with Jason, we both wanted it to be, we, we wanted to be remembered as the greatest tag team. Everybody does, but it wasn't going well. Like we just, uh, to be completely honest, we just weren't having the success we wanted. So this to me was a chance to say, okay, well, now I can finally try to try my hand at singles and, and show people that I can do this on my own as well. I went through a lot of waves too. And trust me, I still am. Uh, I, I, and I'm still trying to find my way, but I did some singles things and I have done some singles matches that I'm very proud of. I had matches with AJ um, and and other guys along the way that, but they're just one-offs, you know, I never had had something I could grasp onto and really feel like, like we've got some momentum here. Let's keep it going until we finally got that with, I think, King of the Ring, which was a chance for me. And it's always been this awesome chance for guys to kind of break out or, yeah, for people really to break out and show themselves. And, man, I got that chance last year. And it was like my favorite run, obviously, as a singles guy that I've had since I've been with the company. And it was just it felt very organic to me, which I think some of the best most of the best things are. Uh, I don't think anybody would have picked me 
you know, to go to the finals of that tournament, let a, or me maybe even make it out of the first round because I hadn't been doing anything on Raw or SmackDown for a long time as a singles guy. Talk to me about that a little bit more because the importance from from outside is that that King of the Ring made two stars. You got King Corbin, who obviously won the tournament, and but the two of you elevated each other over the next couple months where it was really kind of a coming out party for both you and him. He obviously is still doing his king shtick. You have kind of been a little bit lost in the shuffle since then. What's going on inside your head when you're watching all this go on around you? So Corbin and I, you find these guys that you have really good chemistry with. Obviously, everybody has certain guys. Corbin's one for me, luckily, that I had great chemistry with, even dating back to NXT. We did an awesome tag match with him and Rhino in NXT. Uh And that's where I first realized that, like, me and Corbin really have some awesome chemistry, you know? Um, and so I knew that going in and the whole run through the tournament, I was able to kind of start to find myself as a singles guy. Cause even when I had had these matches I'm talking about before it had never been week after week, it was like, I'd have one and then two months would go by and I'd have another one I could be proud of. This one was like, you're expected. I had to be expected to put these matches on week after week. And I had what I thought was a great run. And I knew that I would get, in the finals of, with Corbin, that if we had some time, we could tear the house down because first of all, everybody hates Corbin. Um, you know what I mean? Like just, I hate Corbin. He's one of my best but, friends. And I, still like <laughs> yeah, him. I was just going to say, I like the guy, but I hate him. You know what I mean? Um, but I knew we'd have a great match and he's just that perfect for the story we were telling of me being the short, like small underutilized guy. He's the perfect foe to that, you know? And so, it, it was this match I'm so proud of in the finals. And I feel like there's a lot of matches where you can come out better on the losing end. And that's one of the cases where I think I did like he, he had, he's done the King thing for like basically the whole year and he's been great in it. It's made him more hated. Like people say they're getting <laughs> tired of it or some people it's like, no, you're supposed to be mad at him. You're supposed to hate him. Like he's doing his job and he's really, really, really good at it. Like, I hate Corbin too, but I think I came out of that loss better than I would have winning because it helped complete that story uh, of me and let us continue to tell the story of trying to overcome things. But like you said, now I feel like we're back around again where I've kind of gotten lost in the shuffle and I do my best to avoid that. Trust me, I am doing everything in my power all the time to get myself involved and get in the picture in whatever way I can. And so that's something that I've, since I've been on the main roster, like I talked about earlier, had the biggest trouble navigating is just finding a place where finding that groove where you can be in the mix and in the picture every single week. And I'm still working on it. And it's something I I really need to keep going with. I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot only because as you were telling the story, you've actually rolled your eyes when you talked about (laughs) The story, telling the story where I'm short and I'm the underdog. Sure. You're an Olympian. You're, yes. for all intents and purposes, a real life badass. <laughs> I, I, I'm on your side, and I think most people are when they watch this and go, what, why? So he's short. Big deal. He's a, he's a killer. Right. Obviously, you're, you're being a good soldier. You're doing what is asked of you. But I can see it in your face. And <laughs> stuff, stuff that succeeds in this company, in this business is reality based to your point. Sure. Minutes ago. I watched you roll your eyes. 
How does Chad Gable feel about this? I always ask for opportunity. I've been in Vince's office. I, I talk to the writers, everybody. I'm asking constantly for opportunity. That's what I want. And when I finished the King of the Ring, it was explained to me that this was the direction we're going. We're going to be playing off this short thing going forward, including the Shorty G name. And look, I'm not going to be, I'm not the type of guy that's going to go in, ask for opportunity, and then when given it, complain about it or say, I don't want that opportunity. I want the opportunity I want. That's just not my philosophy on life. I got what I wanted, which was an opportunity. Now, is it the perfect ideal situation? What I wanted? No. Uh, I, as an amateur wrestling, me being short was not a thing because I was on a team with 55 kilo guys, 60 kilo guys that are like five foot one, five foot, not even five foot. So like I was on the taller end of all my other teams, you know what I mean? So, and it was fine. It like, I just got the opportunity I asked for, but it started going a little off the rails when I'm doing segments or backstage things, or I'm in the ring with guys that I'm taller than, or we're doing <laughs> an interview backstage and like, I'm the tallest person in the interview or I have to, I'm like, something ain't quite right here. You know? Uh, so look, I, like I said, I'm not going to poo poo any, opportunity that I'm given. I'm going to try. I'm going to give it my like every ounce of energy I have because I love this. I'm committed to this. Best case scenario, where is Chad Gable in the WWE? So I'm not going to say all of a sudden three months from now, oh, I should be a universal champion. You know, I should be whole like, because I don't think that we make those kind of jumps that immediately. I do see that for myself long-term because you have to, or else uh, what are you doing? You know what I mean? But I am very happy that on SmackDown that I stayed on SmackDown because we have the IC title, which is, I think would be a great starting point for me as a singles guy. Um, I want to get in that mix. I want to get in the mix with the guys that are, that hold that title that defend it all the time. And we know who I'm talking about. And there's guys like, Brian on our show, who I have not had a chance to wrestle yet on TV, especially in a singles match. It's like my dream opponent you know, that, that's still wrestling, you know, like I, before he's done and I don't know how long he has left or how long he plans on wrestling before he's done. I want to have that match with Brian, whether it's for the IC title, wh- whatever it's for. I want to have that match with stakes on it and I can show the world what I'm capable of. And he's the guy that I've been waiting so long to finally like get this opportunity and tear the house down with. Excellent. Like sign me up, man. I, I look yeah. forward to calling that one one of these days. Uh, real quick. I want to talk to you just cause he's kind of on fire on Monday night raw right now is uh, Shelton Benjamin as a member of the hurt business who similar to you, wasn't really doing anything. And they put you guys together and you guys had a, a pretty fun little run. It didn't last incredibly long. What was it like working alongside Shelton? Shelton was great. Uh, I don't know how he felt getting thrown in with me initially, right when he re-signed and got back. I never really asked him. Um, I don't know how you would feel getting with the new guy that you've never met, but he got on board pretty quickly and seemed to be really into it. Um, he was always throwing ideas, bouncing ideas off me. And 
helped me a lot just with advice, things like that as a veteran would. And we had some fun, man. We started doing some promos as heels. That was the first time I really got a chance to, to play the heel role. And, um, we had a little freedom there. And one of the only like long promos I've done on TV in the ring, like in front of the actual audience was with Shelton. And we had some fun, man. We were doing the thing where we're, why are they in the match and playing with different tag teams? And luckily at that time, also we were in this awesome tag team scene on SmackDown that we had with, we had new day, we had the Usos, Rusev day. And um, the whole thing was going on. And like, it was just this awesome, like combination of teams on SmackDown that were just tearing the house down. And we were killing it on all the live events. And we had some awesome pay-per-view matches uh, so Shelton and I, like it was short lived, but we had some pretty good chemistry and, and gelled pretty well together. And again, like we come from the same background, um, amateur wrestling and he like trained and competed here in Minnesota. Uh, I think he hates the cold weather, uh, more than almost anyone else. I know he's told me many times, but like, so we understood each other again, like very similar to the way Jason and I did, which, which I think helped with the chemistry. Someone else you have chemistry with off screen, at least, uh, you spend a lot of time around training is Otis. <laughs> how, how long have you known Otis? So our relationship dates back to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Okay. Uh, we, we probably met in 2010, I would say, but we started, we both lived at the Olympic Training Center starting in 2011. And discovered that we both shared a love for pro wrestling very early on at our uh, at the training center there. And that was it. We were like, we would spend every waking minute outside of training for the Olympics, watching WWE or some form of wrestling, whatever it was. And we were just like best friends from that moment, you know, and he grew up in superior. So not super far from me. And once I got signed with WWE, he I, I, he was still amateur wrestling, but he was so done with it at that point. Once yeah. he saw that, he's like, you, you're already there. He just wanted to be over with him and get to WWE. <laughs> you know, it's like, screw amateur wrestling. It was the vibe I got from him. Yeah. He kept it up and finished. But the first thing he started talking to me about when he was done was how, what, what kind of steps he needed to take to get here. And so I kind of helped him navigate it and, and got him in touch with some people and, he got a tryout and I knew there was no question. Like there was people asking me when he was coming in for his trial, like, is this guy serious? Cause he's a weirdo. Like what you see is not some character he's playing. He's a weird dude, like very <laughs> awkward man. And so they're like, when he shows up to the tryout or send his stuff in, they're like, is this guy serious? Like he's really coming in for, I'm like, you're going to love him. And I guarantee you're going to want to sign him because he's unbelievable. And he got signed and moved. And first thing he did was ask, where do you live? He moved in the apartment next door to me in Florida. So like <laughs> we're living there. Now we're back to what we were doing in 2010. You know what I mean? We're living by each other. We're training together. And then I got called up to SmackDown 2016, kind of shortly after he started. And then here we go. Two or three years later, he got called up. And the first thing he did is say, uh, where are you living? Uh, I tell him he buys a house up the street for me. 
Really? So, oh, dude, he lives right up the street. And <laughs> I didn't so, realize it was that close. Yeah, well, I didn't think it was going to be. I, I thought maybe you guys like flew out of the same airport regularly. <laughs> I didn't realize you were actually neighbors now. I told him where I live. And then like uh, two weeks later, he's like, oh, yeah, I bought this house. Uh, and I looked at the address and it's like, it's like up the street. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, here we go. So the cul-de-sac, you know, I think was very weary the first few times he was coming over to work out when they see Imagine Otis walking into your neighborhood with all your kids outside playing. <laughs> it's like, uh, but he's, that's my guy, man. He's the, he's the man. You guys got a hell of a neighborhood watch. You got yeah. Olympia <laughs> yeah, they all Otis feel safe now street, that they yeah. met him. Uh, but yeah, he's over every day. Um, we, we train together in the garage every day. We have a, a great relationship. He's, I'm sure we all have these people in our lives, right? At least one or two that you could call no matter what, at any time of the day, whatever situation you're in, and that's your go-to, they'll get you out. They'll be there. Right. He's one of those. He, I have maybe two of those and he's one of them for me. That's, that's my guy, man. He's, he's awesome. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. Well, now you've lived this insane journey and you've been to the pinnacle in the Olympics. Now you're at the pinnacle of sports entertainment in WWE. Are there ever still moments where you go, wow, that was cool. Like you just kind of step back where it's, it's surreal to you. Hundred percent. The opening ceremony of the Olympics stands out a lot, yeah. even more so than the competing in the Olympics. Because competing, I, I had done, I had prepared for, I had done it a million times. The, the opening ceremonies was like this experience that it's, it's. I mean, it's so hard to describe, but that was one of those like I made it moments that you yeah. don't forget when yeah. you're walking and you've got like NBA players here to your right and like all the track and field stars to your left and just people that. And you're looking around and the fireworks and the stadium and just the presentation of the whole thing is one of those moments that, like I said, it's like, I made it. It'll, it'll never leave me that feeling. And the same thing happens every year at WrestleMania when we have them in these stadiums and you're kind of out there, you take it in for a moment and it's happened at pay-per-views as well. When I've had like bigger matches, it's just that I made it feeling it, it, it never gets old. It's always refreshing and it always kind of reinvigorates you and keeps you go. It's, it's what keeps me going really is, is having those moments because it, once those go away and I hope they never do, then it's kind of like, we got to move on to the next thing. Yeah. But as long as you keep having those, those moments, I, I think you're, you're pretty safe. Well, there's an old adage in this business. The moment you stop feeling butterflies before you walk through the curtain, Yes, sir. It's time to stop walking through the curtain. hundred percent. Well, hopefully you've got many, many more miles and many historic moments uh, on tap for the WWE Universe. I'm rooting for you. I think a lot of people are. Leave me with some closing thoughts. Whatever you want, the floor is yours. Well, I just want everyone, please, for those that aren't so familiar with me yet or feel like I've my appearances and things have been so sporadic um, that you haven't gotten to know the real Chad Gable yet, the real Shorty G, whatever you want to say, keep your eyes open. and please. Don't close the book on me yet because there's going to be a lot more. You, I promise that you'll see from me. Um, I've got a lot to give and I'm, I'm fairly confident you guys are going to get it pretty soon. So keep your eyes open. I appreciate you hanging out with me this morning. Uh, you are always welcome on ATB. This was fun. I know Thank there's a yours. lot more to, a lot more to dig into, man. I can't wait. Hopefully next time you're on here, we can reminisce about some badass pay-per-view match where you stole the I show. I love it. I know you can do it. I know we're going to see it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I appreciate the, the mantra, the mindset of like the, your theory on opportunity. It was really cool. It's going to stick with me. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Graves. I appreciate it. 
Wow. Thank you once again to Chad Gable. Before I leave you, throw a little zen your way, as I often do. This comes from Vince Lombardi Jr. The difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack in will. Thanks one more time to Chad Gable for joining the show. Follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Use the hashtag After the Bell to join the conversation. If you haven't left me five stars yet on Apple Podcasts, you suck. Seriously, I don't want you to be friends with me anymore. Uh, if you're using Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts, and you can follow me at WWE Graves, should you feel so inclined. And I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.